0: And uh, we have a, a guest preacher this morning, actually from our own congregation. Um, and uh, so we're, we're glad to have Terry. But before he comes, I'd uh, like to spend some time in prayer. I know a, a number of P, a number of you uh, attended funerals this past week. And I was talking to uh, others who will be attending. It is, it seems, uh, a part of our life, but a very important part to To take time to remember, and I often find, uh, I think always find, that it is a time, it's an opportunity also to kind of say what really matters most in life. And I think we live in a culture that tries to postpone death in many and various ways. Uh, I think they wish it was fake news that uh, death is going to happen to all of us. And... Um, And many people don't actually know what they believe about the purpose of life. And it is really important uh, that we, as we have opportunity, just invite people into that conversation to share some of our own story and and to be praying for people. And uh, especially we see so much destruction happening around the world. Uh, To be a part of, I was just talking to someone this week uh, who is, you know, said, we've got space to rent, and it's a Ukrainian immigrant family that's come out of the result of the war. And so it's also an opportunity. Sometimes it's like we're praying for a place, and, you know, for maybe renters, and, uh, and God's answering the prayer of somebody else looking for rent. Or just different ways where God is at work in the world, and we are a part then of a higher purpose, right, in terms of what. And so let's pray together this morning. Oh, Creator God, you are the one whose wisdom and power are unsearchable, impossible to comprehend. And yet, Lord, in Jesus Christ, you have shown us above all that you are a God who is for us, who has gone, Lord, to extreme lengths. And so when we sing, I will follow you, it is because, Lord, we have come to know that you are the God, Lord, who gave everything for us. Lord, when we look around the world, when we look on the news, we see great disasters taking place. Needs that are far beyond our abilities to meet. And yet, God, you are the one who is present. You are the one who moves people's hearts to give sacrificially, to go sacrificially, to, uh, Lord, to seek to help and to befriend and to accompany those who are going through great tragedy and loss. And yet, Lord, uh, those are also your hands and feet in the world. Lord, we thank you for those moments in our own lives when we are able to reassess, reconsider, Lord, what are the ultimate things in life. Because, Lord, we we live in a day and age in which we are pursuing so many temporary things as ultimate things. Many good things as ultimate things. But, Lord, you are the only ultimate one. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that you are the source of all good. You are the source of all hope. Lord, as uh, our brother... Terry comes to share with us from your word today. Lord, we pray that you would give him much freedom by your spirit. Lord, that you would also prepare our hearts. Lord, your word is a precious gift to us. It is living and active. And Lord, may it accomplish exactly what you desire for us this day. Amen. Amen. Please, Terry, come.
1: Thank you David, and good to be with everyone. and uh, let me also thank the praise uh, group. Uh, all those songs fit into the uh, theme that uh, I have for this morning. And I uh, want to begin by uh, reading the uh, scriptures that I have chosen. Uh, the scripture, the first one from second Th- Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul encourages us to remain faithful to our Lord, despite the circumstances, that we happen to find ourselves in. And then I've included a verse from Isaiah, uh, where the Lord promises to be with us through the various storms of life. So let's hear the word of God first, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation for Paul's letter. Second Thessalonians 1, 3 to 12. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you, because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. When He comes on that day, He will receive glory from His holy people. Praise from all who will believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about Him. And so we keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to a life worthy of His call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. And then reading from Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he that is God will not break and a smoking flax. That's like a flickering candle. He will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. So this morning, I'm going to do something that uh, is a little different to what I would normally do. And that's to give a message that is uh, an adaptation. It's more in grammar than essence of an introductory essay to a book entitled The Bruised Reed*. I have a copy of the book here, and I uh, bought it on Amazon last year. The book itself is uh, authored by an English Puritan preacher by the name of Richard Sibbs. Have a picture of him and we can put him up there. Amazing how college professors dressed in those days, isn't it? (laughs) He was a Cambridge scholar, a theologian, and he first published this book in 1631. It's in the original language, if you want to buy it, you better be aware that it's going to take you a little while to work through. About 140 pages, it's like reading a 300-page book. But basically, and he's based that whole book on Isaiah 42.3, which, by the way, is repeated by Jesus word for word in Matthew 12.20. A bruised reed, he, God, shall not break, and a smoking flax, he shall not quench. Basically, saying here that although we as believers are not perfect, you know, and find sin and life tough to deal with at times, God will never abandon us. And let me just uh, uh, take an aside here for a second and ask you this question How many of you have ever heard of Richard Sibbs before? Don't be shy. Okay, no one, so you're forgiven, but uh, probably over 90% of congregational members worldwide have never heard of this guy, and yet why is Amazon still selling his book today? Why is that? Just a thought, and we'll come back to it. However, there is an introductory essay uh, in this book, which I found just as meaningful as the message of the book itself. It was written by another theologian, a Reverend Dr. Alexander Beath. And here's a picture of him there, Uh, born in Scotland. You can see the time that he lived, 1799 to 1891, served as the moderator of the Free Presbyterian Church in Scotland in 1858. He wrote the introduction to this book uh, 20 years after that, 1878. And as I read the introduction, I came to firmly believe that this is a message we needed to hear for our time, our culture, our situation. So basically, what I am presenting to you this morning is a hundred and forty five year old Scottish Presbyterian sermon. Now look at it this way, if God can speak through Jethro in Exodus, he can speak through any old Presbyterian minister. So (laughs) Dr. Beeth begins his his essay by saying this, the gospel as to its distinctive virtue has always been the same. And he has a kind of an interesting take on things. It's not new, but just the way he goes about uh, looking at the scripture. And he says that when God's message through Christ comes to us as a warning, we also receive instruction as to how to deal with that warning and the consequences of it. It's kind of like a veil, you know, that is lifted off our lives, our own personal lives, as well as that of the society around us. And thus dispelling, he says, the delusions of a worldly life and the trappings of culture. And those things are then replaced in our lives by the responsibilities of the gospel and the promise of a new world yet unseen. It's a call to righteousness that will then reflect the glory of God in each of our lives. And so first, Dr. Beeth says, Jesus sets before us the danger of facing human life which the Apostle Paul has affirmed in the Scripture I read this morning from Second Thessalonians, the danger of everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. And this warning, God has given throughout Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. But talking about the wrath of God is not something that seems a number of Christians are not really comfortable with. You know, we really don't want to talk about the judgment and the wrath of God. And I think the current social attitude is, well, let's love one another. Let's get along regardless. And if you have a belief of God in the Bible, that's fine. But don't let it spoil your love for one another. And you see, we simply cannot take the comforting words in Scripture and at the same time ignore the warnings that God gives us. And Jesus said it himself, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, enter, that is life now and and life for eternity. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So very early in his ministry, Jesus himself was sounding the warning about living a purely worldly life, for ultimately that will lead to destruction. Otherwise, there'd been no need for Jesus to come to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And when a person is truly awakened by the message of the gospel, he or she will recognize that they are indeed lost. And they are indeed sinners, it's part of the parable of the lost sheep. So when we come to that realization that we are sinners, we need some help there, Dr. Beeth asks this question, what are you to do? Where do you look? Where can you go to find refuge and shelter? And that's when the gospel provides the answer for us, and only then. You know, and when we are truly wakened by the Spirit of God, when when our hearts are in tune with Him, then God can produce the fruit of His Spirit within us. It's a fruit that only God can produce. We we cannot do it ourselves. Uh, Job 5.18, for example, the Scripture says, for though God wounds, He also bandages. He strikes, but His hands heal. We don't have that ability. And we can be hurt and we can hurt others, but how good are we at really healing those hurts? And only God can produce the kind of love within us that is needed to heal those hurts and experiences and bring comfort to us and others. And then what Dr. Beath does is to take Noah as an example, probably familiar to most of us, but it's a good example that God sent his message to Noah with a view to Noah's salvation, and indeed all of that for humanity. Genesis 6, 13, the scripture, the Lord says to Noah, now get this, this is God speaking, the end of all flesh, all humanity has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, if you take that seriously, those are powerful words, frightening words. And hearing this message, Noah was awakened to such a sense of danger that he'd never experienced in his life. But the coming calamity, the flood, which had been revealed to him in God's message to him, was comparatively distant. It wasn't going to occur immediately. If you know the scripture, Genesis 6, you know, God gave Noah all the dimensions to build that ark. I mean, you know, no electric tools, nothing. It's going to take him several months to build that thing. So it was something that was unseen as yet. There was no portent, no terrifying signals of an approaching doom. No sign occurred to sadden people's hearts. Life continued, much as normal, as it does for us. You know, uh, to use an up-to-date analogy, it's something like waiting for the big one. You know, the earthquake that will devastate Vancouver and uh, the surrounding areas. We know the warnings, it's been in the news, it comes and goes, comes and goes, but who does much about it? You know, how many of us, for example, have earthquake kits or plan what to do or who to contact, where to go when it happens? And this message was prepared a little while back. But Thursday morning, with a cup of coffee, I was reading the Tri-City News. I don't know if any of you caught the article on page three, the whole page, talking about Port Moody's earthquake preparedness, disaster preparedness, because of the earthquake in in Syria and Turkey. And it was amazing to read that. If you still got a copy of Tri-City, take a look at it. You know, people's awareness is gradually beginning to come forward now. You know, but in Noah's time, again, there was little to say, hey, this whole flood is on its way. But Noah's faith made the future in effect for him an imminent present. His soul longed for instruction by which he could obtain some peace, some relief. And God's message actually included that. You know, and God knew the full import of his message to to Noah and to the society at the time. And Noah knew that only God could truthfully meet the pending emergency and therefore was able to offer a reliable comfort and ground in which to face that emergency. And God's instruction to Noah, make an ark. Make an ark, including all the dimensions of its structure, its character, who to include aboard, Noah, his family, the animals, and so on. Everything Noah needed for his and humanity's safety, ultimately. And I think it's important to note here that uh, Noah, by faith, accepted God's message in both its parts. He accepted the warning. He accepted the instruction. You know, and by faith, he was obedient to the heavenly call. And by faith, therefore, he became an heir of righteousness. You know, as Hebrews 11:1 puts it, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. And they didn't see anything at the time of a massive flood on its way. So by this faith, faith in God alone, Noah built that ark. And you see, whenever the gospel message comes, we, we often are warned of an impending wrath, the wrath of God, you know, in the judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. And the apostle Paul warns us too. Romans 1:18, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth. And he continues that theme in Romans 2:5. He says, in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. You know, and God sends us these warnings. And He does so so that His majesty, uh, His glory may not be despised, and so that you and I can come to know the truth and about where God is leading us and where history is going. You know, God's desire, you know this, is that none should perish, that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus' own words in John 3:15 to that effect, And this was true not only for Noah and his family, but for all people, for all time who are willing to come to the Lord, accept the Word of God exactly as Noah did. You know, sin has such a devastating effect on every person's life, and that does not change until we accept the gospel message. And listen again to what God said about human society back in Noah's day, that Genesis 6:11 and 12. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked at the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all humanity had corrupted their way on the earth. You wonder if, you know, by that, if God had second thoughts about creating uh, humanity. But the earth was filled with violence. Look around us today, not just our society, the world. Is it any different? We have violence in our own towns, in Vancouver, and cities around us, and with violence in towns and cities in the United States, in European cities, in Middle Eastern and Asian countries. You've got corruption in politics everywhere, including Washington, Moscow, Beijing. Uh, even the Ukraine, you see on the news a couple of weeks back, they had to deal with, with politicians who were corrupt while they're fighting this war. And listen to what the prophet Habakkuk has to say in his opening verses of his uh, letter, uh, his prophecy. And he's crying out before the Lord. There's a deep emotion here. Uh, and listen to what Habakkuk says. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not Listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And again, doesn't that sound so much at times like our own day? So when the Lord told Noah he was going to destroy the earth, humanity, with a great flood, what was Noah's response? You know, he believed, he had faith, he heard the warning, he took the instruction, and he built that ark probably out in a desert community of the Middle East, which maybe had the odd rain shower uh, in the year. So very little happening. But what is our response to the warnings contained in Scripture? And we have the warnings by Jesus, other writers of the New Testament. Even Jesus speaks about hell. You have Armageddon in the book of Revelation, God's wrath. What shall we do? You know, where can we go for refuge and comfort? And at times, things may indeed look bleak to us. You know, we've come through COVID and its variants, and uh, there's rising costs. Look at the cost of food that is happening. You know, and then you have all the international tensions today, Ukraine, Iran, and North Korea on their way to building nuclear missiles. And when's it going to stop? Where do we look for help? and true peace, true comfort. And God says to Habakkuk in response to his his prayer, be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your day that you would not believe. Well, in our day, God has done something. The Savior has come, and he's given his life for each one of us. And despite our current surroundings, he will return. He will return. That's his promise. And by faith, we need to rely upon that promise as Noah relied on God's Word in his day. And Dr. Beeth reiterates, the gospel message of warning never comes apart from a message of instruction. And the instruction comes from the one who knows our situation, knows everything about it and what is necessary. To see us through, behold the Lamb of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of God's instruction for each and every one of us. And again, look on Noah for a moment and think of this, there being no evidence of proof of this coming deluge given to Noah beyond the clear and simple divine testimony that Noah himself received. God had spoken it, that was all. And for Noah, that was enough. I wonder, is the Word of God enough for us today? All nature at that time was silent. And no doubt people around Noah kind of scoffed at him, probably saying something, well, where is this God of yours? Where's his promise? Nothing much is happening here. It mattered not to Noah. God had spoken, the thing was true. Noah did not speculate. He didn't question God. No, he didn't try to put his own thoughts or ideas into the situation or the thoughts of others. They didn't form a committee and decide, well, how should we deal with this? No, Noah understood the competency and the adequacy of God's plan. And he knew only God's plan could save him, his family, from the worldwide destruction of the human race. The word of the Lord had come. Noah believed. And that's our instruction. Let me insert this thought into uh, Dr. Beath's message Uh, in the Apostle Peter's second letter. He makes reference to the warning that Noah received and Noah's responding faith. Let's just read that second Peter 2 verse 5. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven members of his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. And again, we don't like to talk about judgment, but if we ignore it, we're ignoring a good portion of the word of God. And like those of Noah's day and Peter's day, because he was concerned, we could be, if we're not careful, we could be walking that broad road that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 7. And this is why Noah's example can be so important for us, so that we can see that, see his response, and emulate that in our own Christian lives. And as Dr. Beath stresses, we need to understand God's warnings so that we can sincerely receive His instruction. For Noah, the whole action of his life from the time that he received that warning was produced by a belief in God's Word. In effect, Noah was born again. And the paramount object of his life had become that which the Word of the Lord demanded. It affected all that he did. His whole life changed. In effect, he became a preacher of righteousness. I mean, you can't build a a huge ark like that somewhere in your community without people taking notice, you know, and, and what's he doing and why? So a preacher of righteousness, challenging the society around him with the message of God. Unfortunately, the world either disregarded, derided, or resisted the word that was before them. And Noah Noah was able to, to rest in the trust and faith he had in his Lord. And that same comfort, ladies and gentlemen, is available to each of us as we, too, put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And again, we look at our world community. You know, in a sense, nothing has much changed since Noah's time. Oh, we have different actors, different situations, but Human nature has remained pretty well constant for those who choose to ignore and deny the one who has given his life for the whole human race. Now, I know that's a statement of faith, to be sure, but humanity's attempt at creating utopia has failed in every century and will do in every other future situation. But the Bible says in Acts 14, that God did not leave himself without a witness. You know, and we know that, because if we've committed our lives to him, you and I now in this day and age, we are part of that witness. And that is something to be thankful for and something to glorify in. And Dr. Beath picks up on, on this thought too, affirming that Noah is but one example of such a continuing witness when his society as a whole was doing its own thing and getting into all manner of ungodly living. Only Noah was willing to comprehend and believe the warning that God sent, and that only God is the one who could give instructions to provide completely for the calamity that was not seen as yet. And in the same way, only God knows what lies before each of us in our lives, what awaits us. And therefore, only God knows the provision that is required to protect us, to comfort us, and to lead us through. And we have that provision now in the salvation which Jesus offers. There is nothing. Dr. Beath asserts, that can give relief, can give peace and comfort that may be trusted, than the full and faithful exhibition of the glorious truth of Christ's substitution, the great atonement, the all prevailing intercession now as Jesus is in heaven with the Father. He's there and he's interceding on our behalf every time we go to him in prayer. And the Spirit takes our prayers, presents them to the throne of God. You know, when the gospel becomes effective, truly effective in our lives, effective for reconciling us with God, effective for saving us from the power of sin, we can see how that same gospel must become the healing element for every lesser affliction, that we will face and experience in this life. You know, when we face uh, affliction, worry, anxiety, one kind or another, even as Christians, the gospel proclaims the remedy. It will always do that. And what it does is send us to Jesus, whom the Bible says is the good physician. And what the physicians do, they heal people. You know, when we go to him, those anxieties, those afflictions, you know, will ultimately become lighter. They may not disappear, and we still have to handle them. But there is one with us who is walking step by step each way. There's a new sense that comes to us that we are not alone. And I'm sure you know the verse that Jesus said in Matthew 11, a familiar one, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can we hear what Jesus is saying there? You know, he's reaching out to us. Remember Noah, who received God's message, believed and acted upon it. We may be bruised reeds at times. In fact, a number of times throughout our lives. You know, but again, as both Isaiah and Jesus have said, a bruised reed God will not break a smoking flax, a flickering candle, one that's almost ready to die out, he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. Again and again, the promise that God will not cast us hopelessly aside, he will not crush us, and we will be restored by the hand who first made us. That is the promise of the cross, and that is Jesus' promise to us. You know, we may think at times that we go through some uh, particularly difficult troubles and anxiety, and at times we think, oh, well, that's peculiar to us. You know, other people don't seem to have life as bad as I do. Well, it's never so bad that God cannot reach it and meet it. And it's a promise He has always made to His people. Isaiah 43, 2. Another verse you're probably familiar with. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers that shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? For I am the Lord your God. Do you notice in that verse just shades of what God did in Noah's day and was going to do? The great flood. The rivers shall not overflow you. And then God placed a a rainbow in the sky to signify his covenant with Noah. God takes care of his people no matter what. And let me leave you with one more verse from New Testament, the Apostle James chapter 5, verse 11. James says, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And that message rings true for every age, every situation. Now, as I said at the beginning of this, the book I referred to by Dr. Richard Sibbs was first published, 1631. The introduction, it's an introduction essay actually by Dr. Beerth in 1878. So again, the question, why is this book still in print and available 390 years later? Just 20 years short of the King James Version of the Bible of 1611. Well, is it not because the Word of God does not change? And its message of love and compassion remains forever through the ages. And ladies and gentlemen, that is unretrievably shown to us through the sacrifice of His Son upon the cross. Amen. And I'll ask the uh, worship team to come forward. And as they do, let's just bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Lord God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that despite the mess that we as a human race and even as individuals have created over the years and in our own time, that you are well aware of our situation and you are willing to guide us through the anxieties, the difficulties of life as you did for Noah, for Job, for so many others. And Lord, may we always turn our hearts, our thoughts toward you knowing that you are willing to forgive and lead us in ways that bring a true inner peace and joy. And Lord, restore your comfort in our lives so that we might truly honor you. For that, we praise you and thank you. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for the message this morning. It was a gift is a gift when we are given wisdom and insight. And when God brings that home to us with conviction, and we say, this is a firm place to stand. And one of the lines we sang also was, uh, Jesus led us all the way. Led me all the way. And I think about when you said, how come it's still in print 390 years later? Because one day we're going to be together with all God's people across the ages, and we are together going to share stories, and our conclusion is going to be, Jesus led us all the way, each of us, together, through the challenging times that we were in. He led us. He gave us the wisdom that we needed as we sought him for our day. So thank you. If you would like uh, prayer, we've got some people from our prayer team available here uh, up at the, at the front immediately following the service. And uh, also encourage you to, to stick around, uh, to visit with one another. And if in the midst of your conversations, you know, you feel prompted to pray, just ask, can I pray for you? And or not. Uh, it's, it's just an Im- invitation and to take advantage of that. Because it is a gift to be, to be prayed for as well. Let us go from here and uh, to serve the Lord with the wisdom that he gives us, amen.